0: Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Earth 2 podcast. The podcast that explores the origins and development of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele.
1: Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Listeners, I apologise in advance. I'm doing most of the talking today. <gasps> Gasp.
0: I know. It's such a difference.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Listeners, today's episode is placed in the timeline, if you like. It's prompted by the publication on July the 15th, 1971, of a comic entitled DC 100-Page Super Spectacular Yay. number 6, which is, if we're counting it as a comic we're covering, technically the 29th Neil Adams cover that we've highlighted. And it's an amazing cover, which has frankly haunted my dreams since I first bought a copy in the 90s or whenever it was. Peter's going to talk about the cover in a little while, but basically, yes, listeners, over the next year or so on the podcast, we're going to be covering comics that have a slightly different format from the usual, and to save us explaining every episode, what a 100-pager is, what a 52-pager is, or whatever, this episode is going to deal with that. So basically, we're talking about the early 1970s at DC and the slight bumps in their publication formats, but basically, we're here to celebrate that phenomenon of the Bronze Age, the DC Comics 100-page Super Spectacular. Peter, can you remember your very first DC Comics 100-page Super Spectacular?
0: I can. It was purchased from A.K.A. Books and Comics around about Ah. 1988. Right. It was one of the comics that were on the wall there, and I coveted a lot of those comics. Mm -hmm. uh, And ended up buying quite a few of them. (laughs) Yep. I think my my first coveted
1: and then bought-off-the-wall thing at ACA was The First Appearance of the Guardians of the Galaxy.
0: Ah, interesting. Cool. Mm. The first one I got from there was Justice League of America issue 111. That is, of course, the Justice League of America versus the Injustice Gang and, indeed, the only pre-crisis appearance of Libra, who became a big thing in Final Crisis. Of
1: course. Is that the one with the, they're all balanced on scales? Yes, yes, that's, yes that's the one. that's a great that's cover.
0: The one. And it also had reprints, including the Brainstorm issue from Justice League of America issue 32. Brainstorm's a yeah. fantastic Fantastic yep. villain with a really ridiculous cover. helmet. Yes. In many ways, the Earth One version of the Thinker. But it also had the entire story from Leading Comics to collected in it. And that was my introduction to The Seven Soldiers of Victory. Interesting. So, yes. It, so, that was one that I read and read and read and read and read. What was yours? Mine was issue 17 of Shazam. Ah, of course. My oops. first 100-pager. Which I bought
1: towards the end of 1991, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure it was an obelisk. Oh yes, and formerly in the Virginia Gallery, so obviously, which is where AKA books and comics started off. Because listeners, if you're not familiar with the, the history of all the Glasgow comic shops, AKA moved out to Parney Street. Mm-hmm. Round about then, I remember they opened their second shop in Parney Street, and then they'd left the v- Virginia Galleries. And once they started doing that, obelisks were a bit more bold about selling back issues because they right. they had previously hadn't wanted to. Obelisk was run by Dougie Dow and, and Frank and, and mm-hmm. Russell and all that. And and this issue of Shazam was running a bit time like I, I was dipping my toes into becoming a DC devotee at this point. I was only really reading Green Lantern, but the Justice Society miniseries had been published that year, and I was it was reawakening my my slight sort of interest in the golden age heroes. And as I've said many times before in the podcast, Captain Marvel and Shazam and all that was a big sort of thing and get me into superhero comics because my dad had read them. And I remember right about this time buying this issue of Shazam, buying some other issues of Shazam, starting to buy some of the dollar comic issues of World's Finest that Shazam stories in them, mm-hmm. and it was the following year really when I properly both feet jumped into being a you know a hardcore proper yeah. committed DC collector. So uh-huh. yes, listeners, if you can remember your very first DC Comics hundred pager, do let us know what it was. Now, mm-hmm. anyone who's listening who doesn't know what a hundred pager is, very basically, it was a comic that had one hundred square bound pages, as in. A nice neat spine. It wasn't just held together with staples. Mm-hmm. Most often containing classic reprints of stories going all the way back to the Golden Age, oftentimes alongside some new stories, mm-hmm. priced at either 50 cents or 60 cents and published by DC between 1971 and 1974. The very end of December 1974 was when the last 100 pages were, mm-hmm. were published. And of course, this basic format is very similar to the 80 page giant, which was another square bound. Reprint format that DC had published between 1964 and 1971. And those had their own roots in the giant annuals that DC published between 1960 and 1964 that Mm -hmm. featured Batman and Superman family characters as well as Flash and Sgt. Rock. And indeed, you could, you know, if you want to go all the way back, a lot of the 1940s DC comics had a square bound format, but that way lies madness. We're not going into that too much.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because when they all started off, they were all larger size, 64 pages kind of big and chunky. yeah. Yeah. Golden Age comics, you get a lot for your 10 cents. All in colour for a dime, is yes, the phrase it so yeah.
1: says. Now, before I get properly started on the 100-pagers, we also have to discuss the change in format that the regular DC comics being published around the point where we are at this point in the podcast, mm. around the time the 100 pages started. And this is the period between June 1971 and April 1972 when basically all the monthly DC comics cost 25 cents, which had gone up from the previous price of 15 cents, but they were suddenly bigger and better at 52 pages, mm-hmm. or indeed 48 pages. And again, this was a period when, similar to the format of the 100 pages, you got your new, brand new lead story at the front, occasionally some shorter new material, but most often not reprints of classic material. And I think yeah. for people like us, Peter, I think it's these reprints that make the, the 52 page era and the 100 pages so important. Would you
0: agree? Absolutely, yes, because that's how we discovered these stories, and that's how we have actually were introduced to a lot of these Golden Age characters.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've talked in the past about how my sort of familiarity with the Golden Age DC characters was brought around by the JLA and JC Mm team-ups. We're still a few years away from doing the first one that really properly you know, made me aware of all those those characters. But in the early 90s, as I say, when I was starting to become a proper DC nut, and really, I remember collecting All-Star Squadron and Secret Origins and being fascinated by the Golden Age guys and just wanting to read more stories with them and... The 52-page period and the 100 pages were a gold mine. because yep. where else are you going to get stories of, like, you know, Kid Eternity or Airwave or the Golden Age Green Lantern or Man or whatever, you know, so yes, they were, fantastic, they were yes. priceless. Mm-hmm. I've been doing some digging, listeners, to try and investigate how this 52-page format came around. And lingering in my brain for a very long time is an article from issue 16 of Comic Book Artist, which was originally published by Two Morris Publishing, this particular one cover-dated December 2001. And that particular issue of the magazine focuses on the, the Atlas Seaboard comics, published in the mid-70s. Yes. And don't worry, listeners, we have an episode planned, believe it or not, <laughs> when we're going to talk about the Atlas comics. That's a, a while off. Oh, yes. Can't wait, frankly. Atlas comics were founded by former Marvel Comics supremo Martin Goodman. And as I say, we're going to cover all that stuff a bit later on. And you're doubtless wondering what this has got to do with DC Comics 52 pages. Well, over to John B. Cook who is the writer and editor and comic book artist. So I'm now gonna crib lightly from this article from issue sixteen, Comic Book Artist, page fourteen. I'm gonna read out what John says, but then I'm gonna back it up with the the research I did myself. So some of the dates don't match up here. But it's it's interesting. I think this this is the I think this is the explanation it seems to be anyway. John starts with sort of Given a bit of background to Martin Goodman's life. He also talks about how, in the early 70s, there were a lot of format experimentation-type things mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. In the next couple of years, you're going to get treasury-sized publications. Mm. Marvel were experimenting with black-and-white magazines and all this sort of stuff. Now, this is quoting John's article, as he says, One of Martin's outrageously successful business moves during the last years of his tenure at Marvel was to trick the industry's top company which at that point was DC, then called National Periodical Publications, into committing to an ultimately disastrous page count and pricing change. Mm. This resulted in what DC editorial director, soon-to-be publisher Carmine Infantino, characterised as a slaughter. Now, I don't really have any of the sources for what John's talking about here, unfortunately, but I'm going to read out what he says, and then I'm going to dissect it with the, the dates that I've looked up. In an audaciously daring move, the House of Ideas raised the page count of its regular titles 75% from 32 to 48 pages, accompanied by a 75% price hike from 15 cents to 25 cents on its October-November 1971 cover-dated books. Immediately, DC followed suit, though significantly increasing their page count 100% from 32 to 64 pages. But within a month, in a move that sent shockwaves through the industry, Goodman immediately dropped the page count at Marvel back to 32 pages, yet only reducing the price per book to 20 cents, still a 25% price increase from what the price had been before. The results of this gambit? Marvel was able to give wholesalers a 50% discount off the cover price of their entire line as compared to what DC could offer, which was a mere 40%. Mm-hmm. And whose titles would the retailers be more likely to push, do you think? Plus, what kids could resist getting five snappy all-new Marvels for a buck, compared to four DCs padded with moldy old reprints? I know what I'd spend my money on. Also, as and this is key, I think, to a lot of what we're going to talk about today. Also, as DC had to lock into ordering huge quantities of paper, a full year's supply, the publisher was trapped at the 25-cent, 64-page format for an entire year. Those twelve months were all the time DC's competitor Marvel needed to come out on top. From the first time in the decades rivalry, Marvel surpassed DC in sales. Only rarely looking back in a quarter century past since that fateful year. Now, the gist of that, I think, is probably true. Mm-hmm. But looking up using that priceless resource that is Mike's Amazing World of Comics, yes. I checked some of the dates and stuff, and what John has said in this issue of comic book artists doesn't add up. Okay. Right, so bear with me, listeners. The 25% price point on DC Comics took effect with titles published in June 1971. Mm -hmm. And then, this is going by the dates on Mike's. These comics were cover dated August, and they ran until, the 52 page 25% thing, ran until comics published in April 1972 as I probably said already. Comics on sale in May 1972 revert to 32 pages, and also drop in price to 20 cents, which is, as we said there, is an increase of what they had been previously. Marvel Comics' published in July 1971 had larger than normal price boxes emphasising that they were only 15 cents. Ah. DC obviously had gone to 25 cents before this. So that obviously disputes and contradicts Uh John's assertion in that magazine. And it was the Marvel comics that were published in August 1971 that cost 25 cents and had the higher price count. Now, (laughs) from my reckoning, I want to say round about about the time Defenders started, not too long after the Kree-Skrull war, not too long after Kirby had left the Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. run about Fantastic Four hundred, eleven hundred and twelve, run about then, listeners, mm-hmm. Marvel then immediately dropped back to the 20 cent price point in September. Now, John Cook claimed that all DC titles went to 64 pages, but that isn't true. The previous year, DC had already been experimenting quite a lot. Titles like GI Combat and Strange Adventures and a couple of others, mm-hmm. Date with Debbie, I think was one of them, they all went to 64 pages. Okay. For a good, good long time, mm-hmm. but they flipped back to 52 pages at the same time everything else did. Mm. I hope you're keeping up, listeners. So basically, it's possible that DC, I think, had got wind of Marvel's price and format change. Yeah. They were planning it. Yeah, that makes the yeah. most sense. Given that obviously Marvel were highlighting only 15 cents on their cover mm-hmm. the month before they, they wheeched everything up. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's possible, I think, that DC attempted to maybe preempt it, but were then left behind. When Marvel reverted to 32 pages and 20 cents after one month. And the essential point of Marvel pulling a sleight of hand, I think, still stands and always true here. Yeah. DC's practice meant they had all this extra paper. Mm-hmm. They paid for all this extra paper, so yeah. they were going to use it. Uh-huh. And my theory is that this is one of the contributing factors that led to the creation of the 100-page comic. Yeah, That basically, they had all this paper to use. Mm-hmm. They've all that
0: back catalogue of fantastic material. Exactly,
1: yeah. to, to, to access. They probably thought... Look what they've done. We are going to have to go back to thirty-two pages, but you yeah. know, let's try and use some of this paper up. And obviously, yeah. as we've said, the flux from showing fifty-two pages don't take less to forty-eight pages for twenty-five cent. You know, they yeah. they include the covers at points and others mm-hmm. they don't. It's worth pointing out that running about this time, DC had already been experimenting a lot with page count and prices. You know, for a while series like DC Special, which started in 1968, Mm -hmm. was already sort of ploughing the archives for themed reprint issues. Yes, Yes,
0: very much so.
1: We will talk about some of those. Oh,
0: look forward to that.
1: In forthcoming episodes, because they will Mm -hmm. tie into some other stuff that we talked. about. I think, I'm Mm -hmm. sure in the past, we've already mentioned the DC Special issue of Plastic Man, for example. And then, of course, there was the title Super DC Giant, which managed to publish 14 issues between July 1970 and May 1971. And they were similar, sort of themed by... Genre by character like There's a Best of Brave and the Bold uh-huh. There's a kind of House of Mystery-esque one There's some Western ones Which I believe we talked about When we did Johnny Thunder yeah. And an interesting fact Listeners Which you might not be aware of The very popular And long-running Weird War Tales series Which our friends Max and Rich cover On their Weird Warriors podcast You should really check that out If you haven't done so already Weird War Tales wasn't originally planned as an ongoing title. Oh, It was supposed to be two issues of Super DC Giant. Wow. <laughs> so there you go. Did you know that? listeners? Nice. <laughs> and these Super DC Giants were chunky, mm-hmm. square-bound comics that cost 45 cents. Mm. So I think the 100-pager didn't really come out of nowhere. The precedent was there, yeah. in Super DC Giant, and DC Special, and 8-page Giants, to have chunkier large formats. They had all this paper to use up. They had E. Nelson Bridwell on staff yeah. with his encyclopedic knowledge mm-hmm of everything DC had done. he's responsible for putting the first chunk of 100 pages together. So it was, you know, it was an interesting sort of thing for them to try. Now, over the next few months, we'll be covering a number of the 52-page comics. The next issue of The Flash, uh, the next issue of World's Finest that we'll be doing, they fall into that. And as we go along, we will highlight a few other issues mm-hmm. here and there. So... The very first 100-pager, because it's 100 pages we're here to talk about, was numbered Issue 4. I've not been able to find out why, or why there wasn't a 1, 2, or 3. Okay. And it went on sale, according to Mike's, on the 17th of June, 1971. And if you've been paying attention, the 17th of June, 1971 is the day before Paul McCartney's 29th birthday. Of course it was. <laughs> I'm sure we've already had something else published on the 17th of June. Yeah. DC 4, as it came to be known, bore the legend, weird mystery tales, and a very atmospheric and creepy Bernie Wrightson cover, which was actually produced originally, to tie in with a story from issue 94 of House of Secrets. Did you Ooh. know that, Peter? No, I did, did not. Know? That's yeah. fascinating. Dig out your copy of House of Secrets issue 94, listeners. Read a story called A Bottle of Incense, A Whiff of the Past, and then have a look at the cover of DC 4 with its big scary demon crouching over a, a body inside a five-pointed star pentangle, whatever we call a pentagram on the ground. Fascinating. Mm. A bit of recycling. So under this gorgeous Benny Writes and Cover, there were new gag pages from people like Sergio, Argones and old reprints from series like Tales of the Unexpected, My Greatest Adventure, and a story from issue one of the original Phantom Strangers series.
0: Oh!
1: Yeah, from Excellent. 1952. Do you have a copy of issue four?
0: I do not have that
1: one. You no. don't? No. Oh, gosh. I do. I can't remember when I bought it, though. My whole thing with 100 pages and collecting them, initially, I tried to get the ones that had reprints of Golden Age or stories featuring Uh Golden Age characters. I remember buying the issue of Brave and the Bold with Batman and the Atom because Mm -hmm. it reprinted Showcase 56, you know, the Dr. Fate, Everman, Grundy story. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I sort of focused on collecting the rest of the superhero ones and Uh then I branched out into the other genres. Yeah. Did you have a similar sort of plan of attack or did you just grab them as you saw them?
0: No, I don't really... I didn't really go for the 100-pager specifically. It's more... If it's a series that I like or characters that I like or something I'm drawn to, then I get it. I haven't actually tried to track them all down. Really? Unlike some people. Yes, but I'll come back to that. I'll come back to that. <laughs> Issue 5, or DC
1: 100-page super spectacular number 5, was published in July the 1st, 1971, and is titled Love Stories. And really holds the reputation as one of the rarest, if not the rarest comics published by DC in the modern era.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I've only ever seen it twice. Right, okay. And the first of those was when I got a copy from... Daryl Jones who Mm -hmm. runs Silver Acre Comics Mm -hmm. I I still buy stuff from Daryl I've been buying stuff from Daryl from the 90s they come unconditionally recommended for me if you're in the UK should check out Daryl's stuff have you ever seen a copy of DC5? Uh, no No. the only other time I saw it was at a mart within a year or two afterwards and it was nowhere near Mm -hmm. as good condition as one that I got I remember buying an issue of Comics International on my lunch break Uh we miss Comics International don't we?
0: yeah it was good the internet kind of like destroyed it it, made it
1: Redundant, I suppose. It was still fun. Yeah, sort of. It was a British trades paper, basically, listeners, if you don't know it. With all your hot latest comic news yeah, In the days before previews and stuff, mm-hmm. becoming a regular thing, you got your news from Comics in the National what yeah. was coming. But Comics in the National quite often would have adverts or sometimes Daryl's full catalogue. He'd pay to eat his full catalogue. And I remember seeing DC5 listed and phone... I don't think I phoned him from work. I think I must have mm-hmm. phoned him when I got home or the next day off. I, mean, yeah. I said, you know... I'm interested in this DC5, and he was like, yeah, I didn't think it would last long. <laughs> it still, to this day, remains the most I've ever spent for a single comic.
0: Wow. Okay. Want,
1: what, should I tell you, should I tell the listeners how much it cost me in if, 1999? If you, want to, if you want to reveal that. Listeners, I spent £150 <sighs> to get a copy of DC5. Gasp. And as I say, I've seen it once since. Hey, do you remember how much it was going for at that mart? I'm sure it was less than 100 but, oh, it nice. but it was expensive but it was not it was not a nice copy oh. the one I've got oh. is is pretty smart and mm-hmm. it's and, and it was reprinted mm-hmm. in the early 2000s as was issue six which mm-hmm. is the, the the catalyst for today's episode and I think that affected the value slightly but it's sure sure it is very rare um, I've seen a lot of discussion saying that it's not the most in demand 100 pager
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it's just one that you know because obviously a lot of the superhero collectors wouldn't have bought it etc yeah. but yes it's to this day it's the most I've ever spent in a comic book
0: Gosh, willikers.
1: I know. More money than sense. That was obviously before I had my mortgage and still <laughs> lived at home and all that sort of stuff. Issue 6, which is the one that leads us here today, that was published two weeks later, July the 15th. We're using that as the justification for today's episode as it reprints the very 1st JLA GLA-GAC team-up from issues 21 and 22 of JLA, 1963. The cover by Neil Adams, our 29th if we're playing it that way, lives up to the word spectacular, quite frankly. Doesn't it, Pete? It
0: certainly does. Peter's going to describe the cover to you now. Oh, we have a massive selection of heroes from both Earths. Yes. And they're all standing, looking happy, all looking right at us. Now, here we go for the roll call. <laughs> yes, it's, now, it's worth pointing out, it's
1: a wraparound cover. Qu- it is. Quite a lot of the early 100 pages had these ridiculously nice Neil Adams and Nick wrap mm-hmm. wraparound covers, and... So are you going to start from the back cover? I'll start
0: from the back, yeah. Yeah. There's almost a bit of symmetry to the front and back covers, which is really quite cool. Uh, From the back top left, we have Earth 2's Red Tornado. Then we have a nice smiling Alan Scott Earth 2 Green Lantern. Then we have another smiling Earth 2 Superman beside him. And then we've got the Thunderbolt and Johnny Thunder. Again, they're all looking very happy. Most of these guys have got their hands on their hips or hands and shoulders of people beside them. It's really quite cool. it's quite matey. Mm -hmm. In front of them, we have the Batman of Earth 2 and Mr Terrific, and then the Robin of Earth 2 in his hybrid costume that's half Robin and half Batman. Uh, Robin's quite cool, actually, because he's got one hand in Dr. Fate, who's in front of him, and the other hand in Hal Jordan, who's at the other side of him. Mm -hmm. Which brings me on to the next row, which is Starman of Earth 2, Wildcat of Earth 2, we assume, even though there is an Earth 1 version. Yes. Uh, And then the aforementioned Dr. Fate. And the next row down on the back cover, we have a lovely, smiling Rex Tyler, our Yes! And then we have a really grim-looking... Earth 2 Sandman. You can't tell what his face is like. But under look though, glass mask. Wesley's a bit casual because his capes over
1: one shoulder and his left yes. hand is in his trouser pocket. So he's yes. always I think he's quite relaxed quite there. Quite jaunty. Yes. yes.
0: Uh-huh. Then we have the Earth 2 Johnny Quick. And in front of him we have Al Pratt, the Atom of Earth 2. In his second costume. Yes. yes. Uh-huh. With his fin. Uh-huh. Yep. It's sunned up this time. That's good. And beside him we have Diana Prince from Earth 1 because obviously she was uh, not... Wonder Woman at this
1: period. Yes, it's civilian era Diana Prince, mm-hmm. which obviously explains why someone else is on the front. We'll yes. get to that in a second.
0: And beside her, we have the Earth Two Flash Jay Garrick. In front of him is the Earth One Robin, and then the last one, finishing off the back cover, we have the Earth Two Hawkman.
1: I like how Jay's helmet is a nice jaunty angle. Yes, and he's standing with his arms folded behind his back, straight back. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I think jaunty is kind of like the best descriptive word for this cover. It's lovely that's how they
0: all look. Yes,
1: it's like a school photo assembly type thing. Yes, Jay clearly played by Jimmy stewart on this cover i think
0: yes i can definitely see that yeah Yeah. that moves us on to the front cover now at the front at the very top we have the banner which was on all of these 100 page spectaculars it says dc in the top left corner 100 in massive writing with super spectacular pages beside it and just to confirm it says 100 after that again and of course we have the approved by the comics code seal Underneath that, we have number 6, 1971, and the number of this issue, which is 32,014. There we are. <laughs> now, the roll call for the front cover. We have, as I said, Green Lantern, Hal Jordan of Earth One, we have Green Arrow of Earth One, we have Aquaman of Earth One, we have Dr. Midnight. From Earth 2. Interesting that Dr.
1: Midnight's placed there actually so yeah. randomly. I think it's probably because he has a story reprinted inside.
0: Yes. That's the main it makes reason, it I makes think. the most reason. <laughs> we have a very bulbous headed John Johns, Martian Manhunter of Earth 1. He has a quite a large cranium
1: there, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah.
0: Then we have The Spectre. And beside the Spectre is The Vigilante. The Spectre.
1: Yes, Spectre and Vigilante, two of the guys that like Chuck, have a story inside, so that's another reason, I suppose, why yes. they're pulling in the front.
0: And in front of them are three main characters that are almost spotlighted. Uh, yeah, they are spotlighted, lighted, yeah. yeah. And that is Superman of Earth 1, Wonder Woman in her proper costume of Earth 2, and Batman of Earth 1. And yep. they're all looking very happy and smiling. Well, they are. That's because they know they're the world's greatest superheroes. That's it. And then the very front, we have Barry Allen Flash, Black Canary, and... Hawkman and Hawkwoman, and you've got the Atom sitting on Hawkman's right shoulder. The Atom actually looks too big, to be honest. He's supposed to be six inches at that height, but he's at least a foot and a half there.
1: Well, he's obviously wanting to make sure he can be seen in this nice, <laughs> big, fancy photograph.
0: It's one of the best comic covers of all time, isn't it? It is. It's an absolute classic. And the text across it says, World's greatest superheroes. 100 action-packed pages of story and art from cover to cover. Yep. 50 cents. Amazing. Absolutely.
1: I have two copies of DC 6 listeners, so make sure you check out the socials and I'll post photographs of them side by side so you can see their varying conditions. Mm-hmm. And as well as the JSA the story from JLA twenty one twenty two being reprinted as, as we talked there, a couple of other heroes highlighted in the covers. This comic has reprints of stories featuring Johnny Quick, The Spectre, Hawkman. And the Vigilante story we covered a few months ago in our Fiddler episode. Yay! Which made it very handy at the time of recording <laughs> that I could Easy just access. just read it from this. It also features a previously unpublished Wildcat story, which I'm told was originally meant for issue 91 of Sensation Comics. Mm. But we have an episode planned at some point loosely in the future where we're going to talk about previously unpublished Golden Age stories. So yep. don't worry about that, listeners. Now... Issues 7 to 13 of 100-page Super Spectacular pulled a similar trick to what some of the later 80-page giants did in that they appeared as issues of regular series Mm -hmm. with a sort of sub-numbering that identified it as its own Spectacular. So if you look at your 80-page giants, you might see that some of them have G66 or G67 Mm -hmm. written in the covers next to the, the numbering of whichever comic that is. So DC 7, as it was, appeared in issue 245 of Superman, in October 271. That's one of the chiefly, predominantly black cover, and that featured reprints of Airwave, Kid Eternity and Hawkman, Ray Palmer's Atom, and the short-lived Western hero Super Chief. DC8, occupied issue 238 of Batman, published in November 1971. That's another Neil Adams wraparound cover, highlighting... Characters featured in the reprints, like the Legion of Superheroes and Plastic Man, the Doom Patrol, and current recurring star of the Earth 2 (laughs) podcast, Sargon the Sorcerer. Sargon
0: the Sorcerer.
1: DC-9 turned up in issue 242 of Our Army at War, published in Christmas week, 1971. Reprints there included the Haunted Tank and the various members of the Losers, Mm -hmm. i.e. Gun on Sarge, Johnny Cloud and Captain Storm. DC-10, not the aircraft, but DC pager, number 10. Appeared during Supergirl's run in Adventure Comics. And I'm told that issue four one six of Adventure Comics is now the rarest and most sought after All right. pager. Okay. Featuring Wonder Woman, Phantom Lady, Mary the Gimmick Girl, and a reprint of the very first appearance of Black Canary. Mm. Issue two hundred and fourteen of The Flash, published in February seventy-two, gave host to DC Eleven. And I've actually seen the original cover art for this. Oh really? Yeah. I took a photograph of it and I went to the big whether it was called World of Superheroes exhibition at the O2 in 2018. Gosh. I'll be so post-art in the socials, obviously. Excellent. Cover art by Nick Cardy. Nice wraparound. Reprints Mm -hmm. included The Metal Men, Johnny Quick, Kid Flash, Quicksilver. Yay. Of course, became better known to us all as Max Mercury in Mark Mm -hmm. Waid's run on The Flash in the 90s and a previously unpublished Jay Garrick story. DC-12 shared space with issue 185 of Superboy, another Nick Cardy cover and featured stories including The Legion, The Teen Titans, Kid Eternity, Star Spangled Kid and Little Boy Blue. DC-13 Published in April 72. Returned to the pages of Superman, took up issue 252, and is another amazing Neil Adams wraparound cover. Yes. Featuring a, a whole squad of flying superheroes. Pete, do you want to list all the, the, the heroes in
0: this one for everyone? Gosh, well, of course, this is a test. <laughs> uh, again, from the top back cover, because it is a wraparound. Top left, we have Mr. Keeper and Kid Eternity. There yes. we go. It's making their debut in the podcast, I think. <laughs> We then have the Ray, the quality hero. Then it's Starman and Johnny Quick. Then we have Black Racer of the New Gods. Crikey. Black Condor is under him. Then we have John John's Martian Manhunter. Behind them we have what appears to be the Earth One Hawkman and Hawkwoman. Under that we have Light Ray of the New Gods how Jordan Green Lantern in front of him is Alan Scott Green Lantern but anyway, all these heroes are flying over almost like a Carmine cityscape but it's got yes. a giant setting sun in the background that moves us on to the main images in the front cover you actually get Superman flying as the main image over both covers but he's flying onto the front cover and also we have the Earth One Hawkman and Hawkwoman again, because the helmets are definitely drawn as Earth One Hawkman and Hawkwoman for both versions of the Hawks here. Right. So I think that's a little mistake by Mr. Adams. Uh-oh. Also on the front cover, we have Dr. Fate in his full helmeted glory, the Red Tornado, the Spectre again, the Shining Knight on his winged victory, and at the very top, we have Supergirl. So yes, very exciting cover. It's a brilliant cover. I mm. love it.
1: I've actually got a full back tattoo of that cover, listeners. I haven't actually. That would be very silly, probably expensive <laughs> and very painful. Yeah, it's a joy to behold. It's the juxtaposition of, like, you know, Light Ray with Kitty Eternity and Johnny Quick. You know, I would read that story. Yeah, you know, the mind boggles. Quite frankly,
0: sadly, all these characters don't appear within the pages
1: of this. I know. Issue two five two Soups reprints stories with, it, as you'd expect, the Ray Black Condor. Starman, The Spectre, Hawkman, Doctor Fate and Superman of course. There was a bit of a gap in publication but DC-14 being published again as a separate comic and not as a tourist through the other titles, arrived on the 26th of December 1972 according to Mike's featuring Batman but also had stories for Dollman, Black Hawk, Wildcat, Wonder Woman and the Ray Atom and that's another famous rat Brown cover where it all looks like they're sort of highlighted as movie stars almost mm-hmm. it's a cracker I've seen many homages to that in times DC-15 was published on the 10th of January 1973 that starred Superboy he's backed up by Hawk and Dove Aquaman Sandman and Sandy The Boy Commandos and a nice dilate for hero story mm-hmm. DC-16 was another war comic featuring Sergeant Rock The Haunted Tank Mademoiselle Marie Johnny Cloud Captain Storm and Gun on Sarge that came out in February 1973 The JLA headlined DC17, which came out on 13th of March, 1973. It was also a reprint of a Justice Society story. And the Golden Age Sandman, Wesley Dodds, turned up there as well. Again, we're not going into full details of every story in all these comics because we'd be here all day. And I suppose we want to encourage you to go and seek seek them out for yourselves, I suppose, don't we? Absolutely, yes. DC18, published on 12th of April, 1973, gave Superman top billing again. Featured Captain Triumph, both Atoms, TNT and Dynamite, and Our Man, and that reprinted the classic... Superman Red, Superman Blue, which I wish was highlighted as a parallel world story so we could cover it now. The next one, very interesting, DC-19 featured none other than Tarzan. Wow. First mention of a Tarzan comic on a podcast, I think. DC had started publishing Tarzan in February 1972 after getting the rights from Gold Key. DC-19 was published on 10th of May 1973, and DC-20 followed a month later, 12th of June. That was Batman again. It was one of the first ones that I bought. Ah, okay. I remember I remember buying this one very clearly. Mm-hmm. I had reprints of Doctor Midnight, Black Hawk, Black Canary, Starman, Spectre, Wildcat. I had the first Two-Face story in it. Oh, excellent. As I said earlier on, for the, fir- you know, for the first while I was picking them up, I was really focusing just on the, the ones that Golden Age reprints. Sure. So uh-huh. Spectre and Doctor Midnight and that yeah. being involved were why I nabbed that one. Mm-hmm. DC 21 was another Superboy one that was published in July 1973. And it's stories featuring Supergirl, Kid Eternity, the Legion of Superheroes, and the Proto Teen Titans, Kid Flash, Robin, Acklard reprint of their first appearance from Excellent. Raven the Bold. Mm-hmm. And the final numbered DC 100 pager was focused on the Flash and his mates, Johnny Quick, Jay Garrick, and the Elongated Man. So DC 22, as it was, was published on the 7th of August,
0: 1973. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have many of them uh, off the top of your head? Can you off think? Off the top of my head, I've got a couple of them, yes. I've got the Flash one, and I've got Superman 252. Cool. And I think that's probably my favourite out of the whole lot because every single story in that is amazing. Yeah, the Golden Age Superman reprint in it. Well, one of them is the Power Stone saga, which then Roy Thomas used in part of All Star Squadron. Right, with the Power Stone. Sure. To actually have a Black Condor and a Ray story printed in one comic was amazing. Yes. Uh, and same with you know having a. A Doctor Fate and a Spectre story reprinted again together in yeah. one comic. It's fantastic. Yeah, and of course, finally, it also reprints Superman's greatest feats. Of course, that early parallel universe story yes. that predates Flash of Two Worlds that we covered very, very, very early on. I in Two Five Two. That's right. Of yes, course. It's, yeah. as I said, every single story in that is a belter. Absolutely, it's well worth seeking out. Absolutely, not just for the cover if you have it. I know it's a glorious cover, but open it up, read it, smell it. It's sensational. Yep. I mean, all the 100 pages are glorious,
1: really. I mean, the range of stories, range of characters. Mm-hmm. There just wasn't, and still to this day, there isn't that many legal ways of getting a hold of, a, of stories featuring a lot of these characters. So it was yeah, um, in the early 90s, long before the internet was a thing and all. It was mm-hmm. just fun to be able to read them. So the next phase for the 100 pages began the month after the publication of DC 22. Several of the regular DC comics were refitted and became 100 pages as standard. And as well as that... There are a few other titles that were blessed with being 100 pages. And as I said, we'll be doing a lot of the 100 pages as the podcast progresses over the next year or so. So we will highlight as we go along some of the ones that are relevant. And we'll be doing Mm -hmm. stories, obviously, from from The Flash and from Brave and Bold that that fall under their remit. So around about then, we'll probably highlight some of the other ones as we go along. So here's the big list, then, of 100 pages published between 73 and the tail end of 1974. Action Comics... Had 200-page issues, 437 and 443. And they were fun because Doll Man and Black Pirate turned up. Some Yay. of obscure guys you didn't see. Cool. Batman, which committed fully and went to bi-monthly for the duration. 254 through to 261. Wow. An amazing selection of stories reprinted. Yeah. I mean, yeah. some brilliant yeah. headline stories, using a lot of the big main Batman villains, but some absolutely yeah. brilliant stories reprinted through there. You'd have to do a dedicated 100-pager podcast, really. Maybe that's something I'll do, my old dotage listeners. <laughs> Brave and the Bold. You might have noticed I'm going through this list alphabetically. Yes. Brave and the Bold ran from issues 112 to 117. That's 100 pages. Mm-hmm. Another great resource. I mentioned already that one of the Dr. Fate and Hourman Showcase issues reprinted there. Also, all sorts of other stuff. And we'll be doing a couple of those issues in the podcast. Detective Comics from 438 to 445 were all 100 pages. And we're going to be covering some material that was published in those comics, obviously, so when we get to there we'll tell you a bit more detail, but it's worth pointing out again, it was reprints of Golden Age, Mm -hmm. Green Lantern stories, The Guardian, Roy Raymond The Spider, they all popped up in in Detective Comics, remember Mm -hmm. this time Two issues of The Flash were 100 pages 229 and 232, we'll be doing one of them obviously, House of Mystery was a 100 pager from 224 through to 229, we printed a couple of the Spectre stories at points from the the later issues of his anthology formatted run Mm -hmm. we probably talked about that at the time One extra fascinating fact about the 100-page issues of House of Mystery is that issue number 229 reuses part of the cover of DC 100-page super-spectacular number 4. See? The big demon guy sort of looming in the background. Oh, yes. That's quite interesting, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. Justice League of America was a 100-pager from issue 110 to 116. We'll be doing at least one issue of that. Mm-hmm. And those GLA ones are worth checking out because there's some brilliant stuff reprinted. printed, you know, all sorts of Justice Society. And as Pete mentioned earlier on, one of the Seven Soldiers of Victory stories. Our Army at War got 200 page issues at this point. Issue 269, 275. Shazam issue 8 was a 100 pager. The next few issues were the normal standard format, but then issues 12 through 17 were all 100 pages and we'll be doing a story from one of them. Oh, yes. Superboy in the Legion had a couple of tourist issues in 202 and 205. And then Superman, the regular ongoing series, as falling up from its couple of earlier hundred pages, had three hundred-page issues during this period, and they were issue two hundred and seventy-two, issue two hundred and seventy-eight, and issue two hundred and eighty-four. And it's worth pointing out that issue two hundred and seventy-two reprinted the Green Lantern chapter of Zatanna's Quest. Oh, of course, yes. Remember that. Mm-hmm. And I should probably mention at this point, if I didn't mention it earlier that the Justice League chapter of the Zatanna's quest story is reprinted in a 100-page issue of Justice League of America, issue 110. Excellent. So I wish i would known that when we recorded that episode. It might have made it easier. <laughs> I
0: can't yes. remember. Oh well.
1: Anyway, not to worry. So the next one on my list is very interesting, because basically Supergirl, Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, and Jimmy Olsen were all cancelled. <gasps> Gasp. A new title was created, Superman Family, that picked mm-hmm. up the numbering of Jimmy Olsen and had 100-page issues from issue 164 through to 169. And that stayed a large format, new story-led, but containing reprints comic for a while, and it yeah. eventually shifted into becoming a dollar comic, mm-hmm. which is something also that World's Finest in GI Combat did, which obviously goes to show that once the 100-page experiment finished, DC kept going with larger formaty comics. It wasn't something yeah. they'd been completely. Tarzan, from issues 230 to 235, ran as 100 pages, as well as... Edgar Rice Burroughs' characters, reprints of Taza newspaper strips and stuff. There were also reprints of DC characters like Rex, the Wonder Dog, Detective Chimp and Congo Bill. And very interestingly, Bomber the Jungle Boy renamed as Simba. Gasp. Which I don't think I'd registered before doing this prep. Wow. I think that's mental. That's <laughs> fascinating. But you know, I want that on a bumper sticker, did you know? The DC <laughs> anthology series Unexpected mm-hmm. ran as a 100 pages from 157 to 162. Some brilliant stuff in there. Well, that was Unexpected. Yes. Yeah. Issue 38 of Witching Hour was a 100 pager. Mm-hmm. To this day, it's the only issue of Witching Hour I own. <laughs> Wonder Woman had two issues, mm-hmm. issue 211 and then 214, which featured Green Lantern and was part of that period when Wonder Woman was basically DC's third team-up book. Yeah. Crazy to think how long that actually lasted. Yes. World's Finest Comics was a 100-pager from 223 to 228, and mm-hmm. some great reprint stuff, old Sandman stories, old Vigilante stories, some amazing stuff in there as well, some really interesting lead stories featuring Dead Man and Bruce Wayne's brother and all that sort of stuff. Two of DC Comics' romance anthologies, Young Love... And Young Romance, they both saw out 1974 as 100 pages. Young Love ran from issue 107 to 114. And Young Romance ran from 197 to 204. Now, both of those titles, they were amongst the last that I collected. Yeah. Because I got to a point when all of the 100 pages that had reprints of Golden Age guys. And I thought, right, let's get the rest of the Brave and Bold and Justice League and World's Finest that Mm -hmm. don't have Golden Age guys. And I thought, right, let's just get the rest of them. I remember... Buying, I remember actually taking some stuff into trade to Pete Root mm-hmm. early in 1997 and getting all the Superman families right, in one okay. go.
0: Okay.
1: He had a good run of Tarzan and I remember buying all of them at the time I got into Burroughs, remember getting oh. all the Tarzan 100 pages. The unexpected and House of Mysteries I picked up gradually, but eventually just, you know, they said, let's try and get them all. And the romance ones were amongst the last. I remember getting a couple sure. from Daryl Jones, my friend Corey, Corey McRae, if you're listening, hi Corey. Got a few from them I remember Corey coming out and seeing me at work and hustling because he had a couple of romance 100 pages, you know. I remember standing chatting to my supervisor, my boss about something we're doing and Corey coming up and Clive, who's my manager saying, can I help you? I just want to talk to Dave if that's all right. Oh yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm kind of at work, but he was like, I've got, I've got young romance one and I've got this other one. I've got the other one. I've got this Jimmy Olsen. Yeah. All right. Okay. Give me a minute. So we, we agreed a price because Corey knew I was, I was hustling for them. I have a full set of the original DC 100 pages listeners. Very yeah. proud of this. I've had a full set. This year it'll be 20 years. <laughs> I've had a full set since I was 30, which is insane. <laughs> I remember I got the last few. It was issues of, um, young love and young romance from a, an eBay seller in America. Mm-hmm. I remember nipping down to easy everything, which is a big internet cafe in St. Vincent street where Waterstones used to be and where oh, five yeah. guys is now mm-hmm. one lunch hour to check the bidding mm-hmm. and borrowing a quid off someone. Cause that's, you know, <laughs> you, got a, you got a quid <laughs> and you got your time on the, on the internet. And signing in and using my then flatmates eBay account. And this was just a, just, I think it was just this woman in America selling off her belongings because she had the, the listing was just old romance comics. Cause oh, I wow. would, I would sit and just sort of Google work. Cause I remember this was before the postage rate from America became really prohibitive. Ridiculous, yeah. Because I remember buying a lot of the war comics that I've got, a lot of my Star Spangleds oh. and Our Fighting Forces from America, because they were there, they were reasonably priced, the posters sure. wasn't bad, you sure. got them. But I remember getting the last three or four hundred pages that I needed from this woman for buttons in comparison to what I paid for some of the individual ones. Wow, fantastic. Ones, a few other romance comics amongst them, and I remember Ross being fascinated by some of the other stuff that she was selling. It was almost like she was selling entire life's belongings. But now I've had a full set of them for ages. And um, I've got a, I've got a book somewhere, a big old sort of, you know, data entry bookkeeping artefact. And it's fun looking back at that and sort of checking, you know, which years I got these issues of House of Mystery, which yeah. year I got a nabbed Witching, uh, Witchinger is one I remember getting from Darryl Jones I remember being on the phone to him uh-huh. almost with a list and so saying right have you got this our army at war have you got this Witchinger and he's like yeah and he's yeah I can do it I've got a copy of the witch. I've, I've got a few I'll sort you out with one of that so yeah. again another plug for Daryl Jones at Silveracre but yeah it was fun it was really cool just having them all and I remember Peter Root and Jim Hamilton and Steve Montgomery just all being really impressed <laughs> <laughs> you know at this because I was you know Peter and I, to some extent, are still the youngsters. We're probably the senior guys now, but there was a period when we were amongst the youngsters that yeah. were collecting these old comics back in the day, and it was mm-hmm. quite. It was quite. Imp- I remember Mister Root, who sorted me out with a lot of them actually, because he would make his regular trips to America. I remember. I think that's when he got me some of the Tarzan ones. I mean, I remember getting DC eighteen, which is the one that reprinted Superman Red and Blue with the mm-hmm. the Our Man story in the kit. Car- Literally standing in Mister Root's sort of shop at the back of FP as yeah. he bought the collection from someone. <laughs> Agreed to te- you, know, and then priced it up for me and let me get it you know, with much rolling eyes. And I, oh, all right, Dave, and yeah. let me take it oh. away that day. <laughs> so, yeah, I love the 100 pages, don't you, mate? Absolutely, yes. What's your favorite of all of them? Impossible. I can't answer because they're all they're all amazing. The mystery and horror ones are great because they're just a variety of stories. And generally, it was the cream of the crop. Mm-hmm. I mean, an interesting thing about the romance comics is that a lot of the stories in them were repurposed from older romance comics. Yes. So they would redraw them and retitle uh-huh. them. So sometimes, unless you've got a full set of romance comics to hand, you're not going to really work out where these came from. Yeah. You know, I remember some of the Batman ones there was one that reprinted Two Batman Too Many, yep. which is an amazing story. It certainly is. The Shazam ones were brilliant because they were just chock full of other mm-hmm. Shazam sto- And In the days before the archive or any kind of regular yeah. reprints of old stuff, they were just golden. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I had to pick one, it might be that issue of Brave and Bold with the, the showcase reprint and the story with Batman and the Atom, where Batman is killed and the Atom yes. has to shrink down and jump around in his brain to animate Batman's it's corpse. Adorable. It's amazing. Yeah. I wish... <sighs> I wish we were we could do that story. <laughs> but it, it, hmm. do you have a
0: favourite? Yeah, weirdly, mine's also another Brave and Bold, primarily because... Oh, I know. It's the Metal Men one, isn't it? It is indeed. Yes. It's issue 113, Batman and the Metal Men, and the main story in it is is called The 50-Story Killer, <laughs> and it is sensational. I might have mentioned this to the podcast before, but hey, basically there's a new mayor in town, and uh, he sacks Commissioner Gordon and Batman's like, there, there, Jim, you you had a good run. <laughs> uh, yes. And then he sacks Batman, because Batman's a duly deputised agent of the law. And Batman does his best Miss Jean Brodie impression and says, but I'm in my prime. <laughs> it's phenomenal. And of course, the only people you can replace Batman with would be the metal men. Makes sense. Yeah, makes perfect sense. So <laughs> Batman's effectively outlawed, but basically the story then changes to being diehard in Wayne Tower. Right. As this criminal organization takes over, Wayne Tower. So you've got Batman lurking around in the shadows, changing in and out of Bruce Wayne, and the metal men all like skulking about Wayne Tower and Mercury's hiding in a water cooler because Brilliant. Hey, I'm the only metal that's liquid at room temperature. <laughs> so it's it's phenomenal. It's yeah, it's so crazy. It's Bob Hayley and Jim Aparo mm-hmm. love pretty much everything they've done, and it's just absolute greedy. Bonkers. And also, in that issue, you've got a fantastic Green story reprinted, you've got the first Hawkman story, there's a really cool challenges The Unknown story, and also there's a Viking Prince story with Bob Haney writing it and Joe Kubert on the art! It's just so good! There's even a text page from Bob Haney giving a short bio on himself, which is fantastic, talking about his early years and his writing career. It's called, In the Beginning Were the Words. It's fantastic. fantastic. What a, uh, The modesty of the man.
1: <laughs> They are an embarrassment of riches. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think in some cases they're maybe not as cheap as they used to be. But lower grade copies are all still fairly reasonably priced. Yeah, Listeners, if you don't have any, you should try and track some down for some stories of the older characters that that just aren't available anywhere else. They're, They're great. There's a lot of other sort of stuff like that that went on at the time, like DC published a series called Wanted, which we're going to do an episode on, because Mm -hmm. that also had lots of reprints of old stuff. There was their short-lived Secret Origins series, which had some reprinted Golden Age material that spun out of one of the old 80-page giants. There were series like Legion of Superheroes and Four Star Battle Tales. I'm sure that's right, Mm -hmm. Four Star Superhero Spectacular, and these were all series which I think were trying to eat away at that paper mountain. Yes, (laughs) yes. I'd love to find some more corroborative evidence about that. That John yeah. Cook article is the only place where I've seen this reference. But you know, there was all sorts of stuff going at this time. Like, remember the revived challenges of the Unknown and Doom Patrol as yeah. short-lived reprint yeah. books. I don't think they' will just try to flood the market and maybe claw some space back from Marvel. Yeah, it
0: could be.
1: I don't know, but it's, it's a very interesting time, the Bronze Age. And this is a good episode because it lets us talk about a lot of this stuff that we mm-hmm. probably wouldn't do if we were just sticking to the stories. Yep. The 100 pages are a real sort of cornerstone, corner post, if you like, for this era. I mean, of course, the 100-page format would be revived... DC used it for reprinting a lot of themed stuff, running about the time of big events in the 2000s, reprint miniseries and prestige mm-hmm. formats and stuff.
0: They reprinted that Batman Metal Men story in one of them. Oh, did they? Yes. Oh, that's
1: cool. I didn't know that. Uh-huh. I mean, because this is something I thought about recently, was do I start trying to collect all the 2000s era 100 pages as well?
0: <laughs> <sighs> it's a slippery slope.
1: Exactly. And then, of course, a few years ago, in cooperation with Walmart, they launched a new sort of range of 100 pages. You know, Themed round superheroes or what have you. There's Aquaman ones, there was Flash ones with new material, but older stuff reprinted and primarily on sale in supermarkets to try and attract some new readers. Mm-hmm. I've collected a few of those. I might put some up on the socials, but I'm cool. going to, across the, the socials this week, listeners, I'll put up a few house ads for the 100 pages, a, you know, a select a few covers from the representative series that we won't be covering and I'll stick some of them up and I'll stick some of the modern ones up as well, just so we can. So we can show off, basically. Look what I've got.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. And if you wanted to see that on our socials, where would you go to, David?
1: Well, if you are on Facebook, you look at the Earth 2 Podcast. If you're on Instagram, it's the Earth 2 podcast On Twitter, we are podcast underscore earth2.
0: And if you want to write to us and tell us what you think about this episode, you can email us at the Earth 2 podcast at gmail.com. Yeah,
1: please do. Listeners, if you have any memories or anecdotes about where and when you bought some 100 pages or any favourite issues, please get in touch
0: and we'll... We'll read a few out. You can even send us a voicemail. Go to speakpipe.com forward slash the Earth 2 podcast and you can tell us what you think. Yes. Tell us what your favourite 100 pages are.
1: Before we go this week, we're quickly going to follow up on something in a, a recent episode where we read a letter out from someone who lived in Jameson, Missouri, and we challenged our friend Steve Higgins to track that place down or track that person down. And Steve got back to me, actually, telling me that he found out that Jameson, Missouri is about four and a half hours away from where he lives. Mm-hmm. And apparently in the 70s, the the population of that place was 173 people. Wow. And apparently it's now down to 75. <gasps> Crikey. so if I ever get the cash to go and visit Steve <laughs> road trip yes we'll, we'll, we'll do a road trip to to that part of Missouri and take a photograph next to the, the town sign wouldn't that be fun, maybe mm. I'll do it holding up a 100
0: page DC comic <laughs> Earlier on we were talking about Weird War Tales and of course referred to the excellent Weird Warriors podcast. Yes. Now Rich from the Weird Warriors Podcast got in touch and he also helped us out with the meaning of striped pants war. <laughs> uh, that big conundrum that could be absolutely no idea what that was referring yes. to in that Batman Sergeant Rock team up. So thanks Rich for getting in touch and uh, I thank you again to Ted Kilvington and Brian from Instagram, who uses the name enemy of the shoe. Brian,
1: I want to know why you're then you're an enemy of a shoe.
0: <laughs> Maybe in a few weeks' time
1: when you've heard this episode you can you can tell me. <laughs> on
0: that bombshell I've been Peter
1: yes I've been David I'm going to go and take a deep breath and suck in some cough <laughs> sweets because I've been doing all this talking thank you for joining us listeners we'll see you again very soon on
0: the Earth 2, Earth Two Podcast. Podcast Transmatter Cube activated return coordinate set for Earth Prime